Join us as we dive into a topic close to many parents' hearts, the journey of hearing those precious words, I love you, from our kids and what happens when that moment doesn't quite happen as expected. We're here to share our experiences of exploring love languages with our girls and how we've learned to give and receive love in different ways. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. So right off the bat, when you said near and dear to our hearts, is that because we're talking about love? Like, was it, did you make like no. a like, little like pun of sorts? <laughs> no, that was unintentional. Today's episode is being recorded the weekend before Valentine's Day. So we wanted to do an episode that was kind of thematic to Valentine's. For those of you out there listening, if you're in the United States, we also run Valentine's Card Club at Autism Wish. So we just mailed out, I think, 115 Valentine's cards to a bunch of autistic kiddos. And that basically got us in the mood of like doing a Valentine's episode. I don't think we've ever done one before. I don't think so. Mostly because like we have no idea when people listen to these. So if you're listening to this <laughs> yeah. in like October and we're talking about like love and Valentine's and what are you doing for that special someone? It's kind of like, well, nothing. We are talking about the concept of love and how that can differ when it comes to autistic kiddos, autistic individuals, and our parenting journey with autistic kids, specifically with communicating love and reciprocating love, like how we express love to our kids, how our kids express love to us, and the fact that there are certain barriers when it comes to that autistic child who may may be nonverbal Or they could be verbal and still have certain boundaries or limitations with like physical affection, for example. Yeah. And I think that it um, could pose potential problems because it's not like the typical like situation where it's just like, oh, I'll like say I love them or I'll just give them like a big bear hug or like I will like tickle them and like just like lots of things like that. There's I feel like a lot more intricate things that you have to like take into consideration just thinking about like sensory input right there that there could be so many things involved that you might not even think about my youngest doesn't really like me like hugging her too much like she'll climb on me all day long but as far as like wanting like a like hug from dad she's not really like into that so we have to find like other ways to like show like our love and affection towards like her So like she loves to like laugh and have like a good time and she absolutely loves tickles. So I'll tickle her and just like little things like that that you kind of pick up along the way. So it is interesting because it's not just the, oh, I show love just by hugging my kids or telling them that I love them because there are other things at play here. Yeah. One of the things that we noticed with our eldest in particular, when she was younger, she was nonverbal for a couple of years. And she also has always had kind of physical restrictions in terms of boundaries that she needs for physical affection. So when she was younger, she could not really tolerate any sort of touch. So obviously that meant hugs and kisses were off limits. We couldn't do that. But she couldn't even tolerate like basic touch, like just holding her hand or anything like that. So one of the things that we kind of learned in our journey of parenting an autistic child is, first of all, every kid is very different. Our youngest is opposite. She likes to be tickled. And like with me, she loves for me to squeeze her and cuddle her. She's very opposite from the older one. 
who does not want to be touched unless she really trusts you or it's on her own terms. So one of the things that we kind of learn to do is get creative with that form of touch or that like physical love language with her. And one of the ways that we were able to successfully do that is we learned early on that she was not really receptive to hugs if they were, what would you say, like frontal, frontal hugs, I guess. She, yeah, she, she's kind of like a, I think of like a dump truck where you, they like back up and you have like the sound that uh, 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 <laughs> she like, just dumps back, her love on you. <laughs> yeah, basically like she'll like back her love into you. Like, so like I'll, I'll like be like sitting and that's generally what I do. That's an easy way to show it. Like I'll be sitting on the sofa and like, if I can tell like, oh, she might want to hug, like I'll have like my arms open and then she'll just kind of like meander her way in and I'll like give her a hug that way. But I think she likes having the ability to kind of like face outward and not be, oh, I'm like close to someone. So it still feels like she still has like her space, even though she wants to be kind of like held. I mean, that's like my perception of how like I can potentially see her perspective of sorts or how I would feel. So what we did is we basically gave her control of how to proceed with the hug. So instead of us coming towards her from the front and kind of putting our arms out for a hug, which would kind of give her anxiety and she would definitely not like that and kind of run away, we open up our arms and let her back into a hug. And when we say back in, we mean literally like her back is facing us and she will hug us with her back to our chest. And she's much more comfortable and receptive to that. So we can cuddle her that way. And it's much more on her terms because we're not moving into her. She's moving into us and our space. So there's not really that like invasion of privacy or like that invasion of personal space. She gets to make the decision of when and how it's done, essentially. And the other thing is like if we're watching a movie as like a family and she's like sitting next to us on the sofa, sometimes she'll have like our arm that she'll want to hug, like not necessarily like all of us like hugging her. But she'll want to control and like hug our arm or like lie on our arm and like hug our arm like it's a pillow. So it still gives her full control of how much huggage, I'm going <laughs> to coin that word, how much huggage she wants. Um, so, I mean, it puts her in control. She can gauge like how comfortable she is. And obviously, like if she realizes like, oh, like I don't really want to like hug your arm, she won't. And we're perfectly fine with it. I mean, obviously, we're trying to make them as comfortable as possible when showing love and affection so they know that they can come to us and be in a loving, safe situation where we're not going to like dump all of our love on them without them being able to like manage it, essentially. For her, it's always been important to kind of do it in small doses. Especially when she was nonverbal, she didn't really have a way of communicating how she felt with us. And that is something that I think is important to talk about, too. Oftentimes, as parents of like nonverbal kiddos, when we were in that space and our kid was nonverbal for a couple of years, we really did have that fear and that concern of, will we ever hear the words, I love you? And I'm not going to lie, that hurt. As a parent, it hurts to think about the idea that you might not be able to ever hear that phrase from the child that you love so much. But I think that that comes more from a place of not insecurity, but kind of like being unsure of their love because we are looking for feedback. And as social creatures, when you're in a dating relationship, when you're in a friendship, when you're in any sort of human to human relationship, You're constantly scanning for signals from the other person to understand and try to see, does this person care about me? Do they like me? Do they not like me? 
And that is something that we use to gauge that is the phrase, I love you, is physical touch, emotional touch, and that sort of thing. So I can imagine as a neurotypical, because for me, this is challenging on different levels as an autistic, but as a neurotypical person who probably needs a lot of that verbal reassurance, I can see how that's definitely challenging. And for us, it was at the beginning. It's still, I mean, kind of hard when you think about it because I'm not neurotypical, (laughs) but I was going to say like, from my perspective, one of the easier ways to show love is to flat out say like, oh, I love you. But like with our kids, that is not really something that either comes easily or it's not as valued as far as a phrase to them. So like for our youngest, she's going to be what, five in like two months. I can count on one hand. I can count on like a finger. (laughs) A finger. (laughs) How many times she said like, I love you. And at first, like through like the first like few years, she was mostly nonverbal and it was, it was hard, but I realized that there are so many other ways that I feel are more valuable than like, oh, I'm just checking a box saying I love you. And like that kind of like fills that void essentially. Because when you think about it, the term I love you yeah, it's supposed to express like your love for someone, but I feel like all too often people toss that around a lot and it potentially loses some of its actual value about what does that actually mean? Even though like my daughter, I think may have told me that she loves me like two or three times, maybe. I don't really doubt that because I actually see the other characteristics in our play, me tickling her, her climbing on me, riding on my shoulders, her genuinely smiling and having fun with me helps to basically uh, reinsure her love for me. And I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's the same way with you, that because you are getting the other components of what their expression of love is, it doesn't sting as much that you don't really hear it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just me. No, yeah, because that's why autistic friendships are very different than neurotypical friendships in the sense that We don't tend to have to stay in constant communication with someone to know or feel cared about that person. So as an autistic person, like we can say, hey, I really like you. Let's hang out. And then we can basically not talk to each other for a year. And in our minds, we still feel like that person should know that I still care about them because I haven't said otherwise. But that's not typical for like neurotypical relationships and neurotypical relationships. There needs to be a lot of affirmation and a lot of confirmation and a lot of repetition of affection in order to make that person feel secure in that love. And I think that's where that mismatch happens when it comes to parenting an autistic child. If you're a neurotypical parent of an autistic child, there is kind of like a mismatch of expectations and a mismatch of that love language where the child might not feel like they need to say I love you because they kind of feel secure in their love for you. And the parent might need that reinforcement. So that in itself becomes a bit of a complexity. The last few years, it didn't start off, I mean, where it's at now. I was thinking back to our oldest when she was pretty much kind of in her her own little world, had no interest in anything besides like the water bottles and like her little nursery rhyme songs that she would listen to uh, on the TV. But we got involved with the water bottles. So we were showing an interest in whatever her interest was. So we would get next to her and we would be involved. We'd roll them down the stairs. We'd flip them upside down. We would try and stack them. We would mix up the colors. I mean, we did lots of things to show that we were equally as invested in these water bottles with the food coloring dye in them that she was. And I think that was a start 
Obviously, we've always loved her, but as far as like trying to build a connection for her reciprocating any type of love towards us, I think that was kind of one of the earlier starts of we are connected on whatever interest you have. And we kind of go from there because even today, our oldest, actually both our kids, they're obsessed with like Frozen. When we reenact a little like scenes from Frozen or sing songs or do just just silly things regarding Frozen, like our oldest will kind of like lock up and flap a little bit. And for me, that's like a sign of like, oh my gosh, I'm really loving what we're doing. This is awesome. And I just kind of, I keep going as far as what their interests are and involve their interest in our daily life. One of the best things that you can do as a parent who's trying to connect in that like loving relationship with your autistic child is to let go of the expectation of what standard love looks like and get creative and be willing to open up to new ways and new love languages, autistic love languages. Our oldest, for example, is really into art recently. Like, I don't know why or how, but she has somehow developed this huge special interest in art and drawing. And she has gone through so many sketchbooks and papers at this point. And what I've noticed is it is now becoming a love language of hers. She is now expressing her love to us through art. And the way that she does that is she might not be coming up to us and saying, I love you. She might not be coming and cuddling with us because she honestly, she's not a cuddler. She's not going to come to us and ask for snuggles. It just really doesn't happen. But what she does do is she'll draw pictures of us. She'll draw a picture of herself with us. She'll draw a picture of something that she thinks is funny and share it with us. And through her art, she is expressing love instead of the typical way that we would assume a child would do. It just kind of is nice to have a reassurance that like in their way, they are showing that they care and that they love us without having to use words. So I don't know. It's just nice and reassuring because sometimes you kind of do wonder like, How are they managing situations in life? How do they feel towards like us and family and all that? So it is kind of nice when you get like those little like glimpses of like them actually like showing love towards like family members. And I also want to reiterate, if your child is nonverbal or let's say your child is not really at that social state because there's different levels of socialization when it comes to autistic kids and some kids like mine will come and show you a picture But there's some like my youngest one that doesn't even think to draw you a picture and bring it to you like it just doesn't cross their mind. And so what that love will look like will vary very differently from child to child. Just because this is what our kid does does not mean that that's what your kids should be doing. And it also doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. Every family is different. Every autistic child is different. The key is trying to tap into what they are interested in, tap into what makes them happy. If they try to connect with you through those things in any way, I would consider that love. I would consider that an expression of love. And even if they don't, sometimes tolerating you more than other people is love. Our oldest, for example, she, for the longest time, would not tolerate people who weren't part of our family coming into our home. She wouldn't tolerate people sleeping over and things like that if they weren't part of the regular routine. But If it's her uncle who she's super obsessed with, even though she's only seen him like once or twice, she is ecstatic if he comes over and is totally accepting of him coming into our space. So even though she's not telling him she loves him, you can tell that she loves him just by the fact that she is accepting him into her personal space. Overall, I think we definitely have to be patient. 
and gauge the situation to see what they're comfortable with. They'll tell you without telling you what they're comfortable with and what they like. I mean, you can kind of gauge through just experience and life with them, what they love, what they don't love, and then just try and capitalize on the things that they enjoy doing and activities. And then I think you'll kind of see little glimmers here and there of their love. Yeah. And one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about was also the parent perspective on this, because like I mentioned before, at the beginning of our journey, when our kids were nonverbal, it was pretty devastating thinking and falling into that rabbit hole of like, oh, will I ever hear my kids say I love you? And I didn't realize and process the fact that love is more than words. And we can always find love in different ways that don't have to be words. But that doesn't necessarily mean that in that moment, you will feel fulfilled, that in that moment, you will feel satisfied. And one of the things that I had to learn was to really think through and process, what is it that I am really seeking in reality when I'm saying that I want my kid to say, I love you? Why do I want them to say, I love you? What is it that I'm trying to get fulfilled from them saying that? Because if you can dig deep and think about your feelings and think about what is the thing triggering me to need that phrase, you will be surprised to find that usually it's not the actual phrase itself that you need. It's something else, something deeper. Maybe it is trying to get some sort of reciprocation. With neurotypical people, usually you need to have that feedback. And perhaps it's being in this like state of cognitive dissonance, basically, where your outside world is not matching the reality of what should be on the inside. And that's an uncomfortable feeling. So maybe it's just struggling with that discomfort. And if it is, you can handle that a different way. So by wrestling with our inner thoughts and really processing why do we need to hear those words, we can get creative in our solutions and try different ways to try to meet that need. Or maybe they just really don't want to clean out the garage or they want to purchase something that's a little bit more expensive. And no, no, Leah, I love you. I really, <laughs> really love you. See, you just use it like that. And then <laughs> you, you just can, bribe me with the right, phrase. <laughs> I know what you need. <laughs> I love you. See, and then you forget all about like our garage being a disaster zone. See, I think if our kids knew. <laughs> The power that the words I love you had. Oh, yeah. They'd be dropping it all the time. Yeah, they'd be dropping it all the time if they do. McDonald's, please. Right. (laughs) I know. Where's my cheeseburger? (laughs) Exactly. No, no, that's funny. But uh, so many times people use the I love you in connection with something else, and it's not really necessarily what you intend it to be, but it's like something that you've learned as kind of more of a social interaction that you use I love you. When someone does something that you find beneficial for you, for example, just something to like when you start to be kind of like a philosopher and kind of start to think about what is the term I love you and why is it used? What context is it used in like society? And then you get rid of all the junk that doesn't really mean I love you. It's just kind of like filler words for something else that you can say to get by. And there lies what the true meaning of I love you means. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And let's be honest, when it comes to neurotypical relationships, the words I love you means very different things. It depends on the context. It depends on the tone. It depends on who you're talking to. And so I try not to get fixated on the words themselves because honestly, like as an autistic person, like to me, words are not as important as the intentions behind them. Like I really don't find value in words themselves so much as that intention. 
that is the part that is hard to piece when it comes to an autistic child. We can't tell what the intention is half the time if our kid is nonverbal or not able to express what they're thinking or feeling. And I think that's what puts a lot of parents into this like state of anxiety or this internal struggle because we want to feel secure in knowing that. We want to feel like we can connect and understand our children. And when we feel that moment that we can't, especially as a mother, it's hard. It's hard on you. You really want to accomplish that and you really want to be able to bond with that child. And it's hard to do it in that way. And so that's why for us, we have really worked on trying to get really creative. We try to observe our kids' behaviors. We try to understand what is their way of expressing love and affection and try to reciprocate in their way in order to be able to build those bonds. Yeah, I'm not sure if you do it as well, but like obviously like when we tuck them in at night and we're like closing their doors, I always say like, oh, I love you. But like, there's never like the response like, oh, I love you too. It's like you get used to it kind of being like the, when you say it, it automatically comes back. But then like with our like kids, like there's not that dynamic. So it's like, oh, I love you. And then silence. And it's like, okay. (laughs) Don't lie. That's the same treatment I give you. No, (laughs) you're used to it. I, I'll I'll say I love you too. Yeah, see, I got the back and forth, the yin and yang thing. So yeah, it's, it's just a different perspective that you have to kind of go into with like a different mindset of what is love and how to kind of navigate those waters a little bit. Yeah, it is definitely kind of tricky. And sometimes you feel like the payoff of hearing it, you're going to miss out a little bit with not necessarily hearing it. But that's why I think you kind of think about like, what does love actually mean and kind of go a little bit deeper into the actual meanings, and then you find where love ultimately lies. It's important to not get lost in the idea of stereotypical, standard, neurotypical love and love expression, because that can lead to dark places when your child can't reciprocate it. We have to remember that our children are autistic, and part of that is that communication problem But some autistic kids also struggle with identifying their emotions. For our daughter, that's definitely the case where our oldest daughter, you can tell that she's in some sort of distress or you can tell that she's experiencing an emotion, but she can't really put into words what that feeling is. She can't really tell what's going on. And it just comes out in like a bunch of anxiety and chaos. That is not limited to just negative feelings. That can be limited to positive feelings like love and excitement. It can be very confusing for an autistic person who has that poor interoception and has a disorder. I forget the name of it, but there's an emotional regulation disconnection disorder that's associated with autism where it is very difficult for you to be like, I'm feeling something in my body. This feeling means love or this feeling means excitement. That's a disconnect that it happens with a lot of autistic individuals. And so we literally cannot expect them to be able to reciprocate the phrase, I love you, if they can't even oftentimes understand what that feels like. Some of the things that we do, too, is we try to kind of do that mirroring, role-playing type of behavior. Matt and I will playfully kind of, no, don't give me that look, Matthew. Nothing inappropriate. I'm very confused where (laughs) you're going with this, but please proceed. No, like Matt and I will playfully kind of be affectionate with the kids where we will tickle them or hug them within their limitations or restrictions. And we're kind of giving them an idea of like what we feel affection is. And by showing them what we feel, they then feel more comfortable later reciprocating that. Our youngest one, for example, if she wants to express love, 
she might come to us and tickle us. And it's not because she thinks that's what love is. It's because she thinks that's what mom and dad do. Therefore, this must be the right thing that I'm supposed to do in order to express love. So that's another thing that we've done is we've mirrored or shown them the way in terms of like how we express love. But it's kind of hit or miss with the older one. And in the words of the Supremes and or Phil Collins, what would you say, Leah? <laughs> you can't hurry love, which go. is the <laughs> the title of this episode. I actually titled it You Can't Hurry Love because, A, that song's amazing. If you haven't heard it, come on. You have to have heard that by now. But one of the things that caught my eye is it's meant to be a romantic song. But when I was rethinking of the lyrics of that song from the perspective of a parent of an autistic child, I actually thought it was really fitting. There's this one particular line that it says, but I keep on waiting, anticipating for that soft voice to talk to me at night, for some tender arms to hold me tight. I keep on waiting, but it ain't easy. And I don't know why, but to me, yes, I know this is a romance song, but it really fit very well with that feeling that I had initially with my kids of like, mama said I need to chill And I have to remember that love takes its time and take it easy. And I know that you really want these things, but you have to have patience. Yeah, it might be difficult for our loved one, in this case, our child, to reciprocate it with words or affection or those tender arms in a hug. But, you know, the point of the song is basically saying, hey, be optimistic, like, wait. And in time, your child may be able to reciprocate or they might find a different, more creative, more beautiful way to reciprocate. And that's such a great song, too. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard it in years, but like, I mean, it's like a classic. So just be patient and hang in there. And I mean, I think eventually you'll see love, not necessarily in the typical means by hearing the phrase, I love you necessarily, but through some other avenue. And in doing so, I think that that will be a better experience because it will rejuvenate your mind a little bit about what love is supposed to be versus what the Hallmark channel is telling us love is. So that's our Valentine's day special. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted to put more of that like positive spin on things because it is difficult. Like when, when we first started, it was difficult when our kids were nonverbal, it was devastating. But I really, really, really have learned and try to really express to people as much that I'm so passionate about this idea of just trying to let go of expectations and trying to build on the foundation that we have. Because our children are unique, lovable, and perfect the way that they are. And we just need to learn new tools, new ways. And we need to see things through new lenses. We have to be able to be adaptable. We have to be flexible. And we have to be willing to take our time. Oftentimes, these processes are slow. It's not going to be a quick bond. It's not going to be a quick, I love you, access that you're going to get. It's going to be incremental bit by bit that we develop these relationships with our children. It is a process, and it's totally okay and normal if that process doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take time, and it's just a matter of being open-minded and really patient and willing to do things in a new and different way. Uh, We're going to wrap up here. And um, I want to know what you guys here listening, we had uh, several people tune into the chat. 
What are your thoughts? Is your child nonverbal, minimally verbal or verbal and a little bit standoffish? Do they have sensory concerns that make them less willing or less likely to want physical affection? How do you and your child express love to each other? Have you come up with unique ways? What are they? <laughs> Let us know what you think by sharing your thoughts in the comments on our YouTube or Facebook channel at Autism Wish. Or you can continue the conversation with us on our private community. Before we go, don't forget to become a member today at autismwish.org for exclusive access to that Embracing Autism community where you can help support our mission while also finding your tribe. Thanks for hanging out and we will see you all next time. And we love you, Embracers. (laughs) Love (laughs) y'all. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.